they are able to recruit into their collaborative strategies pre-existing and real civil society pro-Israel organizations from around the world. So they're bringing, they're almost treating these organizations as private contractors to carry out the government's um, own agenda. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. Welcome back to the seventh episode of the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with my co-host Asa Wynn-Stanley. Asa, how are you today? Hello, Nora. Well, we took a little break between episodes. Um, so much has been going on. We've got Jared Kushner's uh, truly visionary, totally equitable, equitable and justice-oriented peace plan moving ahead, of course. Um, While the Trump Mm. administration, along with Israel and the Saudis, have been trying to figure out how to inflict more suffering on the people of Iran, either through renewed sanctions or U.S.-led airstrikes. Meanwhile, Asa, you've been reporting on some Israeli online meddling and surveillance-related stories, and we'll get to more of that in in our interview with Michael Buchert in a few minutes. But what have you been keeping your eye on lately? What's keeping you up at night these days? Hmm. Wow. What's keeping me up at night, I suppose, is <laughs> Iran. Iran. Yeah. Um, well, more specifically, like the Trump administration's threats against Iran. Yeah. It's all kind of crazy, right? This is he's like a pound shop George W. Bush, really, isn't he? Like he's <laughs> sort of a warmonger, but then like cops out. Yeah, like and that. and the people you know telling him what to do are to... actual demons and ghouls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John yeah. Bolton, for goodness' sake. Right, <laughs> just to, yeah. I mean, John Bolton has been salivating for bombing Iran for many many years now. Um, I mean, the whole situation is insane. Like, and and like, there's yeah. no, of course, there's absolutely no relation to the fact that Trump's number one uh, financer is a, a number one campaign donor is none other than Sheldon Adelson. That's right. You know, like it's, it's, it, it, it's been agitating for war against Iran for years. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's absolutely insane. I mean, I guess, I don't know. They called it off at the last minute because they yeah. realized that like Iran has an actual military. And if they, in actually, if they actually invaded Iran, yeah. I mean, God forbid, but they would actually get their asses kicked. You know, it wouldn't be like uh, Iraq. The, the the government wouldn't collapse after an invasion you know it would be it would be a disaster and there'd be a lot of people killed but american government would be they wouldn't win right. basically is what i'm trying to say Right. And, and, you know, the, the Democrats were falling all over themselves to say, you know, oh, well, you know, you can't go to war without congressional approval and it needs to go through the proper channels and people were oh, God. heralding them for that. You know, oh, God, oh, this is it's so great. And, you know, as though it's just a procedural issue um, that that waging war is not the issue, but but how you do it and and who's allowed to do what. Um, and are these are really uh, the resistance people? Yeah, these are the hashtag resistance. So it was, yeah, it was keeping me up at night. <laughs> what are they actually resisting? You know, they don't seem to disagree with Trump <laughs> right. on no, anything it's substantial. Just they, they disagree on, you know, on the optics. Um, yeah. You know. And like Russia. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so we're we're watching that, obviously, closely. Um, 
And then, you know, and Kushner is in Bahrain right now at, at this uh, so-called workshop or conference or whatever they want to call it. Is, that, is this what's been keeping you up at night? No, the, no, uh, d- no. This the, is... The Bahrain no, conference. This, this is... Uh, uh, it's comic relief at this point. Um, <laughs> Jared Kushner trying to sell, as, 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 a, as Ali puts it, Palestine for peanuts. Um, mm. But... Uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll link to all of these stories. Uh, also, Greg Shupak wrote uh, recently a, a great backgrounder analysis on on how Israel is pushing for war on Iran, mm. and and the Israeli factor that that no one in the U.S. corporate media seems to want to. Uh, yeah, a very on, prescient piece by yeah. Greg. He's uh, yeah. always um, he's a great writer. Yeah, we've got some really wonderful analysis um, on the Bahrain conference by Tamara Nassar. And Ali Abunima, of course, um, and we'll we'll link to all of that on the the podcast post that accompanies this broadcast. Um, so I think without further ado, let's do a short music break and come back with a really wonderful interview with Michael Buchert, um, who talks about Israeli online meddling and um, and 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 cyberbullying, basically um, sanctioned and financed by the Israeli government. Pontificate, philosophize, cross the T's, dot the I's I heard him say the revolution won't be monetized But it could be wrapped up, packaged and commodified In this poisonous equation, I wonder what am I? Tax dodging tabloids, profit from these horrid lies Pedal patriotism, but economically colonized Sycophants gripping flags, tell you that they're on your side Sell off your services abroad, who do they prioritize? Robin Hood in reverse, these robberies aren't secrets Bonuses for bankers and backhanders for arms dealers Can't cage the alternative that now exists With the skill of an alchemist Turn pain to empowerment, inspired to be alive in this powerful moment No more of all these cowards sell us out to the domes We rose like a giant awoken out of this coma Confront the culture of power with the power of culture We sing Freedom! Your public service died death the World Bank and IMF is it? Freedom! The kleptocracy orchestrating subjugate the corporate state that is it? Freedom! Theresa's a terrorist, we could be standing at the precipice of We're back. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast, and I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with Asa Wynn Stanley. We're delighted to be joined by Michael Buchert, who's been on the podcast before, talking about new revelations regarding the ACT.IL app and its global influence campaign funded by the Israeli government. In a recent feature on the Electronic Intifada, Asa writes that, quote, in its annual report from January, ACT.IL says its goal is to influence foreign publics, and battle BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement for Palestinian Rights. Through its app, ACT.IL issues missions to this troll army in exchange for cool prizes and scholarships. The app directs (laughs) comments toward news websites in support of Israeli wars and racism while attacking Palestinians and solidarity campaigners. The leaked report claims ACT.IL's app completes 1,580 such missions every week. They are busy. ACT.IL's <laughs> report was, imta- was obtained by the Electronic Intifada thanks to researcher Michael Buchert. He monitors the app and posts screenshots of its missions to the, qu- 
to the Twitter account behind Israel's troll army. Michael, thank you so much for being with us again on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks for having me. I guess I wanted to ask you, Michael, um, we've been relying on your Twitter account um, for a while now. um, And I suppose I wanted to ask you what prompted you to start doing this Twitter account and start um, monitoring, I guess, this um, app. So maybe um, tell us how you first came across Act.io. Yeah, so I'm a graduate student uh, in Ottawa, and I am researching the backlash to BDS campaigns in Canada and looking at that in comparison to the opposition to the anti-apartheid movement against South Africa in the 1970s, 1980s. And so I've been following in general sort of uh, pro-Israel anti-BDS activities. And then when the app was announced, it was a pretty big news story um, in the Israeli press, um, partially because the Israeli government had paid for there to be a lot of positive articles about it. But I decided that I would write a piece for Jacobin magazine about the app and um, sort of outlining um, the background, the history Mm. of some of the the institutions and individuals behind it. And uh, I just decided from that point on to to keep monitoring the app. Oh, in writing that article, I ended up um, downloading the app and kind of playing around with it just to get a sense of what the user experience is like and what kind of missions there were. And I decided following that piece to just continue uh, tracking it every once in a while, not very closely, um, but just to continue to see what what it was doing. And I think it was, um, I guess, a little bit over a year ago when I decided that there were so many missions that um, had, a pu- I thought, a public interest and that they were, they were missions that directly were trying to interfere in various news cycles or in um, campaigns, trying to get um, people fired from their jobs, that it seemed that there was um, a need or, or a demand, perhaps, um, that a, a lot of the power of the app comes from concealing or sort of obscuring the real authors behind a lot of this content to try to make it appear as though right. um, it is organic, spontaneous online activity and, and audience response to to content when it is actually um, mm. uh, choreographed and directed from by this app. And so I wanted to kind of showcase um, some examples of, of what the app uh, was doing. And one of the particular ones that was really important, one of the early missions um, in January 2018, uh, after Ahead Tamimi was arrested for slapping uh, an occupation uh, occupation soldier, there was a, a mission. Um, there were a number of missions responding to news articles about that, uh, and um, they were saying things like, uh, you know, age doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter that she's a teenager, that she was disre- uh, <laughs> disrespecting people who were protecting her, um, and basically justifying um, the horrendous treatment. Uh, of her. And I thought that it was just um, absolutely disgusting sort of uh, content that had the endorsement of the Israeli government uh, that I thought that this is the kind of thing that 
that more people should be able to have easy access to. So I created the account about a year ago, and I don't post nearly all of the missions that I come across, but some of the more uh, representative ones, uh, especially ones where they're trying not just mm. to influence news coverage, but to, uh, to, to really intervene in specific campaigns, especially, or when, when there's a real material impact of those, of those missions. Mm. And it doesn't just get the endorsement of the Israeli government. There are actual ways that the Israeli government is helping to fund and disseminate this kind of information um, and, and these like so-called missions. Can you talk a little bit about the background, what, uh, where ACT.IL came from and who is behind it? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky to, to say for sure the role of the government in the app because a lot of this is is. Uh, perhaps intentionally obscured. Uh, th- it comes out of a number of collaborations between the Israeli t- tech industry and universities there, um, a number of different initiatives to counter or to basically get a whole bunch of pro-Israel activists together and to coordinate their response, uh, especially in relation to things like uh, when the Israeli military is conducting airstrikes on Gaza, for example, and there's a backlash to that in the international media, there'll be these initiatives by students or whoever to come together and to coordinate a response and to to combat the lies and information as they see it. And some of these sort of um, at the, the IDC, I, the uh, Interdisciplinary Center in Herzliya, um, which is a private Israeli university near Tel Aviv. And sort of there was a specific project there that grew into the, the ACT.IL project that um, is is a, a government project, but it's sort of a, it comes out of this cooperation between the government and these, these local sort of civil society responses. Um, and so they had this ACT, uh, ACT for Israel campaign, I think in 2015, and then in 2017, they got state buy-in in terms of this app. Uh, it they say that they are a completely independent project, independent from the government. But uh, reporting obviously shows that there's been uh, what was it, six hundred thousand dollars? You can correct me if that's if that's wrong. It's in money up front to sort of create yeah. the digital infrastructure to promote the app, for example. And there's been a lot of uh, newspaper articles in uh, various. Um, Israeli newspapers like Jerusalem Post um, that were placed there. Uh, if you look at the bottom, it says that they, it was produced in uh, maybe it might say in cooperation with the Israeli government. And so there's a, a number of ways in which the Israeli government has been actively financing, um, at least in setting up the app. But whether they're involved in financing it at this stage on sort of an ongoing operational level is not clear, just as it's not clear mm-hmm. whether or not there is ongoing operational um, assistance in relation to like intelligence or um, collaboration with different like security agencies. Although the founder of the app has said on a number of occasions that um, he has been working with, uh, you know, the IDF, the Shin Bet, um, and others who not only identify uh, different missions to engage in, but also provide other kinds of uh, joint projects. Um, but elsewhere, the, they will claim that it is completely independent. So it, it really is hard to tell how much of it is um, on the surface. Is what they're presenting what what is really going on, or are there more covert 
uh, relationships behind that, given that the uh, the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, the minister likes to to boast of working um, of operating front organizations and that kind of thing, and how their uh, much of their activities are specifically designed to be no logo, to be covert, to take to take place through through. Uh, civil society organizations without being able to connect that activity to the government. Mm. So there's a lot we can't say for sure about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting question, and Israel's got quite a long history of um, working in this way. I think. Um, I think a, a lot of the reporting on this, including ours, you know, focuses on the Ministry of Strategic Affairs quite a lot. And I think there's um, quite a danger there sometimes that we make it out to be this sort of exceptional thing. There, there was an editorial in Haaretz recently calling it the Ministry of Strategic Damage or something like that. I can't, I can't remember the exact term. But they, they um, basically, they were critical of the Ministry of Strategic Affairs from a sort of typically Haaretz liberal Zionist point of view uh but there there is quite a long history of israel kind of contracting it out its operations in this way and you know fundraising as well i i read uh seymour hirsch's book about the israeli nuclear weapons program um a year or two ago really interesting really good book Uh, it's it's quite old now it's on the night like the mid 90s i think um, and in that, he talks about how it was uh, Shimon Peres who went to the US to raise money for Israel's um, nuclear weapons program because there was some sort of internal division um, within the Israeli government at the time. Some people wanted it, some people didn't. And so they just said, well, we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. And they raised money from uh, rich American Zionist donors. Um, to just go ahead and do it and kind of keep it off the books in a way. Um, And I think there is some similarities to that with uh, ACT.IL because, you know, they are seeing it as a kind of warfare, you know, an information warfare, um, which kind of explains why they keep all these sort of military, former military intelligence officers on it. Um, I... Michael, what would you say? Can, can you, um, you 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 tweet so many of these missions, and it's really interesting. Like, um, can you think of one that has particularly stood out to you as the most sort of egregious? Yeah, the most egregious one is actually one that Electronic Intifada um, wrote uh, covered this as a news story in May of last year, which was the case of George Washington University students, where there was a a BDS vote taking place at the Student Senate at George Washington University. And the vote was, um, it was by secret ballot, they had decided. So that, because leading up to the vote, there had been a number of um, harassment campaigns from Canary Mission and others to try to intimidate senators uh, to convince them not to vote in favor of BDS. And so they decided they're going to make it a secret ballot. And what happened after the vote um, the BDS vote passed, and so then there was this very strange website and Facebook page that went online um, called No Secret Ballot, and right. it was um, there was a mission from the app 
to this Facebook page, which I think had like a handful of likes at the time. It was. Yeah. I remember it was like 11 likes or something. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't something that they mm-hmm. were like, a, like they knew about it before most people did. Uh, so, so it suggests yeah. that someone who was involved in setting it up or very close to it was also the person who alerted the people behind who determines what the missions are uh, to support it. And it was, it was really creepy stuff. It was like, um, yeah, you know, uh, d- democracy dies in darkness. And so stay tuned. We're going to show, we're going to give transparency by showing who voted in favor of BDS. And so there was a website right. as well, which was scrubbed very quickly. And unfortunately I don't have screenshots, but they had big pictures of different uh, members of the student Senate with um, information claiming w- that they did or did not vote in favor of the BDS uh, motions. So I don't know how they have that information to begin with, since it was secret ballot. They might have been judging based on public comments or something, but it was basically doxing these students. And mm-hmm. it amounted, in my views, to cyberbullying. And uh, pretty quickly, the Facebook page and the website were taken down. Um, but the mission on the app continued to remain there for a while. So it suggests that maybe the, the local activists or whoever was involved in setting up that campaign decided um, to back out of it because of the attention, but the app itself, whoever was mm. deciding that this is an appropriate mission, never made a decision to to retract that. And so I thought that was one of the most egregious examples. A lot of the, a lot of the missions themselves are pretty amateurish, and kind of silly, like promoting, yeah. like um, if the IDF has a, uh, um, you know, has a veganism policy, they'll they'll share that. As, or there'll be a lot of like um, Jennifer Lopez is coming in to Israel, so there are a number of missions right now commenting on Instagram and that kind of thing. Um, you know, welcome to Israel, like we're so excited to see you here. So a lot of that is pretty benign. Um, but but there are definitely cases. There's another case where they they boasted in the report that they got a student residence assistant fired from his job at a university. So there are, there are very much real world examples um, yeah. that are pretty uh, pretty creepy. We talked last year um, on this podcast about the app and its missions. Um, have you seen? Any difference in in the the amount of missions that the app sends its user users on, um, or the 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 t- like you know is there like a um, you know um, expanding aggressive tone or what differences have you seen in the last year till now? I wouldn't say that there are many trends. I would say that many of the types of missions are very similar to original ones. There have been fewer missions that. Um, are that engage in you know what could be called cyberbullying. Um, although there are definitely cases where they're absolutely intervening in local uh, conflicts, um, and in some cases directing petitions or letters to try to get a policy reversed or to get someone fired or suspended. Those still continue to happen, although not yeah. very often. One thing that um, they started to do, I think, last year with the uh, Great March of Return is that instead of having individual missions uh, responding to news articles about this, they started to have um, sort of major missions or or they create a whole landing page where on that landing page there would be 
20, 30 different news or links to news articles and to specific comments. Uh, and so you go and click on it and these would be news sites from around the world. So mostly American, some British, and then there might be a Canadian news site and a Chinese news site, a Filipino news site. And it'll, it'll, it'll be sort of like a wide sweeping attempt to, to shape their reaction broadly to this news story online where people get their news largely, which is on Facebook, so that anyone who's scrolling through Facebook and they see this article, so that the top comment will be one that has been approved and supported by the government of Israel's app, but without them knowing that. Mm. So it, again, it appears organic, spontaneous, right. uh, but yeah. it's actually quite choreographed. And so, and then there'll also mm -hmm. be some talking points as well that, that users can use and take to comment and make their own comments. So. That's that's more of um, a broad, almost a, a, a systematic way that they've been trying to respond to these mega events. Uh, that they so there are some ways they've been learning. Uh, I think. Uh, other than that, it's it's pretty consistent. Most of them are uh, lately. Most of them have been targeting celebrities and trying to get celebrities uh, to come to Israel and play. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the recent research that you've done on um, on the like the top activists um, that Act.il claims it has, and who are you know building this fake grassroots campaign? Um, Asa mentioned it in the report that, of course, we'll link to um, on the podcast blog post that accompanies this podcast. Um, but can you talk about how it's being staffed, uh, who it's being staffed with, and why that's important to point out? Well, I think Aza looked at this more closely in the article and can maybe say more specifically about it. But in general, if you look at the top activists in the app, if you look at the leaderboards who are completing the most missions, who are the most active, many of them, um, I think you said six out of nine of the top activists from April, uh, if you if you look them up, they are employees for Act.il. Some of them are also security officers uh, for the Israeli government, and so it's clear yeah. that the people who are most active and who are getting the most traction are people who work who work for it. Um, we also know from the report that they put out um, for last year, the the organization itself has grown quite a bit to include a number of these different local media rooms, especially in the United States. Uh, so recruiting local activists who they can plug their efforts mm. into the larger project. What else to say about that? Um, we, we also saw that the app, well, the app has a lot more money. It has a million dollar budget, which is a lot of money considering how amateurish a lot of these missions are, um, which is something we can also talk about. Exactly. Um, but also <laughs> yeah, there's right. a, many, many uh, supporters and partners, and we don't know what that means. We don't know if these are organizations, um, but, but it's, it's dozens of pro-Israel civil society organizations, especially in the U.S. and in the U.K., who are listed as either partnering with or supporting the app Again, that could just mean yeah. that they're telling their members to download the app. There could be a financial relationship. We just don't know. Um, yeah. So in my view, um, there is an ongoing operational link um, with, with, well, with Israel's intelligence services 
between ACT.IL and Israel's uh, spy agencies via the Ministry of Strategic Affairs. And we know that from um, my second feature on on this, which I just published today as we're recording, um, and you alluded to it earlier when... Uh, the, so I found this interview in Hebrew um, with Yarden Ben-Yosef, who's the chief executive of ACT.IL, you know, who the forward reported was a military intelligence officer for eight years. Um, and he said in the interview, we work with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and with the Ministry of Strategic Affairs um, on joint po- projects. And they, they seek their advice and they work on joint projects. Now, he then claims that it's done without remuneration, which is something that's undermined by the Ministry of Strategic Affairs' own disclosures. Um, so it, it the role of these kind of partners that you mentioned is like to seems to me anyway is to kind of launder the propaganda of the Israeli state through uh you know supposedly grassroots organizations in uh countries around the world where it is in the Israeli state's interest to push its propaganda and that's something that um Yadam Ben Yosef has also written about you know in this second article um that we've just published um, I would link to this piece that he's written in this um, Israeli sort of uh, journal for diplomats, where he says that um, they want to ins- we should insert ourselves, inserting ourselves into online discussions, um, and he 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 kind he's described it as well as a new kind of war, um, and he's kind of he's he's, he's saying that um, these kind of initiatives. Let us let's the Israeli government um, influence world public opinion during crisis crises, which is, would otherwise be limited because of the official identity of government agencies. So, I mean, the, this this project is a really it's a really interesting one because, like, it's not unique, even in even for Israel. I mean, the, the, of course, other governments are involved. You know, Saudi Arabia, for example, is quite renowned for having these kind of troll factories um which spew sort of uh all sorts of stuff online in support of the the saudi regime um but and then but also for israel over the there's been various projects over the years where they've had various different attempts at this and this one seems to be the most sophisticated so far but also like as as, as you've said some of it is pretty uh candid really like considering it's like got a million dollars some of the stuff that they put out is really kind of ridiculous and you just think this is not convincing anybody you know what are they? um the israeli government and sheldon adelson who's uh, also funding this project um kind of seem to be wasting their money with, with some of this stuff but it, it, again it's it, it's always kind of a balancing out with reporting these things because some of it is ridiculous ridiculous but also like you can't deny some of it does have an effect they do seem to have some successes in from what they would consider successes you know in terms of um you know getting people fired and um putting out their influence out there um so um can you speak to that at all like the how how effective do you think it's been <clears throat> yeah i mean it's hard to say overall how effective it is, but I I would I would wager a guess at 
overall, when you look at sort of its ability to influence uh, debates on issues, I, I would suggest is probably quite limited. But having said that, in in instances of specific, when the app is targeting a very specific localized debate or action or campaign, I think it does have the potential to be quite influential because you're suddenly directing thousands yeah. of international users into a localized conflict um, without, you know, any indication that these are international, so that, that this isn't a local spontaneous response from the community. I think there is definitely a major potential when the you have these thousands of international users who are all submitting um, letters to a university to fire a professor, I do think that that has a potential to, to have quite a significant impact. Although I yeah. do, do not think overall that um, sending positive messages to Jennifer Lopez is going to, is, is very serious and it is likely a waste of their money. But I I also wanted to talk about Digitel brief, briefly because that seems to be a, yeah, please a, do. a, yeah. a parallel um, project of the yeah. Ministry of Strategic Affairs that started last year, and they are having conferences where they're bringing together um, reportedly 100 activists and online influencers. So the biggest online pro-Israel influencers together um, into what is described as a support group that is independent from the government, but partners, obviously, <laughs> and is convened by the Israeli government to, um, they've had campaigns, for example, targeting amnesties, campaign so a backlash to amnesty's campaign about um TripAdvisor and um airbnb airbnb i believe in the in the settlements and so there's this a number of projects in which um basically it's recruiting different uh, civil society actors around the world into shared strategies around combating bds which i think is interesting because with the app and with things like digital and other campaigns, it's hard to tell how to characterize these. In some cases, it's really tempting to see something like the app as a front organization, considering um, the role of the government in some of the upfront money. And the, the Israeli government talks about having front organizations. But it's a little different in the sense that it seems to be less than having like like fake shell organizations that they can control. It's more that they are able to recruit into their um, collaborative strategies, um, pre-existing and real civil society pro-Israel organizations from around the world. So they're bringing, they're almost treating these organizations as private contractors to carry out the government's um, own agenda. And so whether or not that's, you know, a relationship of front groups or if it's one of more of a partnership in which civil society is willing to to volunteer themselves to essentially act as agents for the government's agenda i think it's a it's a very interesting and strange relationship that i'm not really sure how to characterize yeah um can you talk a little bit about um the these claim you know it, it it's really classic astroturfing in, in in so many ways that you've pointed out, but also like um, these claims of um, very exaggerated, you know, views and hits on its videos. Um, in the article that Asa published today, there's a, there's a, um, a campaign called Israel Extreme Yourself, um, which ACT.IL <laughs> describes as a quote, 
cool and fresh way to promote Israel through, quote, extreme sports. Um, and, and the app claims <laughs> that it's it's like it's not just cringeworthy. It's like it's just absurd. Um, the, the video they say that the video reached more than 250,000 views and over 2000 shares with, within its first 36 hours of being posted. But actually, if you look on the YouTube, uh, you know, link to the video, it, it has less than 2,000 views. So 250,000 versus actually 2,000. Um, can you talk about how, you know, this as a tactic uh, of exaggerating its its influence or its reach um, and, and why they would do that? Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about that other than it makes sense that there would be incentives to inflate those kinds of numbers. <laughs> In a way, all of this is just about yeah. ana um, analytics, about looking at data, like yeah, um, how many views, how many retweets, and that kind of thing. So many of these missions, I would imagine their success of those missions are determined um, solely based on reach and and engagement. And so it would make sense that they would have incentives to to inflate some of those numbers. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, look, theoretically, it is possible that they reached two hundred and fifty thousand views with that video. Maybe they distributed it on Facebook. I don't know, but I don't. I could. I. I don't think they have a Facebook page, do they? They have this group, like closed Facebook group. I don't think there is a. So I would imagine they distribute mm. videos on Facebook through, a, you know, channels that look like oh, it's not at .il, right? Yeah, there are quite a few videos, uh, video missions, and usually they're from organizations, or I don't know if they're organizations or if they're just Facebook pages that were recently created. Uh, many of them are quite fresh and have very few likes, but um, th yeah, they might be like Friends of Israel on this specific campus even, and they'll have a video um, opposing mm -hmm. a BDS vote coming up, and so they'll they'll sh the app will have the mission to share that video. So a lot of these videos certainly get... Um, they originate not with some central ACT-IL page, but from they get placed in different localized pages and use that as a jumping off point. Yeah. I think there's no doubt, like you said, Nora, that um, they absolutely have this kind of interest in exaggerating their own influence. Because like uh, in this um, report that you sent to us, Michael, that we put in my first article, um, it was their kind of annual report it seemed to me that it was kind of aimed it was sent out to everyone everyone on the app is that right yeah, yeah it should have been um but it seemed to me it was kind of pitched at um raising funds basically so they kind of uh, you know they had the startup funding from the israeli government um the you know Sheldon adelson's involved and others by the looks of things so they want to keep the money coming in. So they're saying, oh, look how great we are, basically. Right. So and once again, like promoting itself as a grassroots organization, um, you know, that that needs, you know, it's it's support needs support from its, you know, users. Um, I just I think that's like a, a pretty um, significant, you know, way to also just, you know, present itself as something that it's actually not. And again, like the relation, like mm. what does grassroots mean in this context? Because many of these missions aren't necessarily, right. like they're not necessarily constructed by the app, right? Or by um, like um, any of these other sort of national or international organizations behind that are involved. Some of them might be real grassroots missions 
in the sense that they're spontaneous, they're localized, but then they, because they're connected this, to this network, they become part of, like, they become a mission of the app because of their relationship with all of these mm-hmm. other organizations. And so the infrastructure, in a way, whether, it's hard to tell in some cases, where are these campaigns coming from? Are they grassroots campaigns that become national or international through the app because of their connections? Or are they, in some cases, they do appear to be created by um, different actors and presented as grassroots. So in a, in a very sort of traditional mm-hmm. AstroTurf sense. But I think that the relationship between the app and the different organizations is so obscure and so different that um, that I think the traditional language of like front groups and astroturf and that I think we need to consider whether we need to adjust and amend these concepts to take into account what I think is something different that is happening yeah. here. Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, it's a bit of everything, isn't it? I mean, I, it's, it's, there's a spectrum there, isn't there? I mean, it, it go, and it goes from, mm-hmm. like you said, it goes from astroturfing through to um groups that are uh not necessarily like they have their own there are groups that have their own agency um and but then they still act on the behalf of the israeli government uh, in some ways so i mean to me those are proxy organizations um, and I make that distinction because they're not they're not necessarily they're not simple puppets in or fronts in the sense that they're not empty shell organizations they have kind of their own agency um, uh, but they can still act as proxies for the Israeli government in in different ways and I I guess that different groups act in different ways at different times and I, su- I suppose I'm bringing this up and emphasizing this because. Uh, my research is also looking into South Africa's own propaganda war, uh, which in the 60s and then in the 1970s and the 80s was primarily through um, covert uh, operations, including the creation of shell organizations, magazines, Mm. television programs, um, especially you have the creation of a whole number of um, organizations in the UK, like the Club of Ten, which sounds British, but it turned out to be just a, a government front. You have a whole whole bunch hmm. of these organizations that, um, like the International Freedom Foundation in the in the 80s, that looked like a DC Washington think tank and had connections with all of these people on its board, like American conservatives, who may have had no idea that most of the funding of this organization was coming directly from the South African government. And so you have a situation where um, the South Africa's propaganda campaign, it too was worried about misinformation, about the lies told about South Africa. They wanted to shape, um, they wanted to counter sort of the foreign crusade against the country and the university, the Marxists on campus and all that. Um, And they didn't have access to the same kind of technology, so they were operating primarily through very specifically shell front organizations that did not exist prior to the introduction of the South African government. So in comparison to, to that history, what we're seeing today is, is much more about, it looks to me like the, um, the Israeli state contracting out already existing real organizations into a shared strategy, which is um, suggests to me that Israel just has more grassroots support. It doesn't need to create its own organizations to an extent because there are so many people who are willing to voluntarily do that work for them. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
Um, Michael, how can people learn more about the app um, and your research? And um, yeah, where, where can they go? Uh, well, I guess the first thing they can go to Electronic Intifada and read the pieces that Aza wrote about uh, the app. Uh, you can check out um, my Twitter account where I operate, where, where I where share select missions, which is um, at AntiBDS app. And then um, you can find my own Twitter account as well, at M. Bukert. Uh, you could start there, I guess. Excellent. Thank you so much, as always, for your incredible research um, and for being with us again on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>